Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. My name is Grant, and today we have another episode of our Going Deeper series of podcasts where it is our goal to provide you with content that is going to help you go deeper in your relationship with God. I'm so excited because today we have comedian Mike Goodwin on the show. Mike is absolutely hilarious comedian, speaker, and leader. Whether it's a comedy act for a church event or a keynote address at a conference, Mike uses his ability to merge leadership and laughter to help meet his goal of leaving places and people better than he found them. He's appeared on Lifetime, BET, Dry Bar Comedy, TBN, Daystar, USA The Word Network, and Circle TV, and been featured on Sirius XM and nationally syndicated radio shows. Mike has shared stages with Dr. David Jeremiah, Tim Hawkins, John Christ, and Michael Jr., and participated in the USO Europe Comedy Tour. When not on stage, you can find him sharpening his skills as a writer for digital media outlets and platforms. He's been featured on America's Got Talent and currently has an Amazon Prime special called What You're Not Gonna Do Is Not Laugh At These Jokes. He is absolutely hilarious, and I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. So let's go now to my conversation with comedian Mike Goodwin. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us here today on uh, this podcast, man. We're so excited for you to be here. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So first question I want to ask you're not wearing it right now, right. but you always wear a bow tie right. when you do your stand-up. So explain, <laughs> what's, what's the bow tie about? Explain that to us. So the bow tie, basically, I started doing stand-up when I was 28. So I realized when I first started that there's a lot of comedians out there. And it's very easy to get lost in the bunch. Hmm. So I was trying to figure out how could I stand out from the crowd? And so that's typically the way I dress. One thing I noticed about comedians when I started, they're not, as a group, really well-dressed. So I knew that that kind of would give me an advantage if I just dressed the way that I typically dress. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of where the bow tie comedy came from. Yeah, now you're like kind of known for it. It's like your right, thing. Right, <laughs> right. That's my my brand. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, that's cool. I mean, anything that you can do to set yourself apart, you know, make yourself stand out. Now we all know the guy yeah. with the bow tie. Yeah, and what was wild about it, I had branded myself so well that people wouldn't even call me Mike Goodwin. I, there were folks that would say, hey, man, bow tie comedy is going to be here with us. And nice. like, hey, man, my name's... It's not my name. (laughs) It ain't bow tie. So I needed to to bring it back a little bit. (laughs) Awesome. Because I had branded it too well. So it says in your bio, you know, I was kind of reading your bio, just kind of prepping for our conversation. It says that you developed an affinity for comedy and used it as a way to cope through difficult situations that you faced as a child. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. What were some of the things that you faced growing up and and how did comedy kind of help you through that? Yeah, first, I think that in my house, I was... I'm the oldest of three, and so I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. My parents were often arguing, and not just verbally, but physically having altercations. And so I can remember probably being maybe seven, six or seven, that age where my parents would get into these arguments, and I was helpless. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't physically stop one of my parents from you know assaulting the other. 
So I would notice that after they would argue, my mother would come in the kitchen, prepare dinner, you know, going business as usual. But it it would it would be so tense, and it would be such a um, uncomfortable setting and atmosphere. It didn't feel good, and I was just trying to figure out ways to lighten the mood. And I remember one day, my mom was in the kitchen doing, you know, preparing dinner and, and getting that ready. My dad typically, when they would argue. If he didn't leave the house, he would stay in the room, close the door. My mom would come in the kitchen, start preparing food. I'm the oldest of three, so I have a brother and a sister that's younger. And my mom was in the kitchen, and I just remember doing something that made her laugh. And when she laughed, it's like the tension broke. Hmm. And so that became my technique. So when they would get into arguments and would cool down, I would start doing my routine. I would start doing my show. And what would happen, if I knew I was doing well, like my brothers and sisters, my mom would be laughing. My dad would hear, like, the noise from the room. It was like, what's all that noise? You know, what y'all doing out there? And so I was like, oh, I'm ripping tonight. So <laughs> that was kind of the beginning of it. Yeah. And then in school, you had to figure out how to get bullies off you. You had to mm-hmm. figure out how to avoid negative, negative attention. And that was one of the things that I had to figure out how to do I, on the bus. I would ride home on the bus, and I was, you know, an underclassman, and we had all these older kids. And so what would happen, the kids would, like, pop you in the back of your head, crack jokes on you. And at some point, I just got to this place where I'm like, I'm not going to, like, just submit to the onslaught of jokes <laughs> and attacks. So I was like, hey, man, I got to take off for myself. I got to do <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. Now, I wasn't a big kid. I wasn't a big guy. I think at this point in life, people would be surprised. But I was a little dude. And so I had a smart mouth. I had a great sense of humor. So mm-hmm. I created these ideas, these thoughts that, okay. And I knew the culprits. There's typically two or three main bosses on the bus. You know, <laughs> right, like right, most right. people piled on. But there was two or three folks that were orchestrating mm-hmm. the whole the whole movement. And so I figured out, okay, if I punched the biggest guy in the face verbally, I wouldn't physically punch anybody. <laughs> but if I attacked the biggest two guys, that would cause everybody else to leave me alone. It's like to mm-hmm. see you watching a movie and somebody goes to jail. And it's like, hey, man, you got to go in there and you got to take the biggest yeah, guy yeah, out. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I One day on the back of the bus, you know, I get popped in the head. And then I just start roasting one of the older guys to the, to the, to the extent – that he wanted to fight. I mean, that's that's yeah, yeah. that's a that's a problematic. He wanted him to leave you alone. You right, don't right. want him to fight you. But after that day, I had very little issues with folks after that. So that comedy has been a friend to me uh, when I've been in some very precarious situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it kind of taught you that in those those moments of tension there's something that you can do to kind of make it a little easier on people going through that. Yeah, and then I, I think just personally, I find a lot of things funny. So life may be sucking around me, but I pretty much like, oh, man, this is not that bad. Like, I've yeah, just, yeah. you know, I, I'm a, a former soldier. I've been to basic training. I've joined a fraternity. So I've been in very sucky scenarios. I've been in very sucky situations where – in the midst of it, 
it's kind of funny to me. Like there's right. something that's happening in that moment that's like, oh, that's funny. Like that guy right. has a funny accent or <laughs> helps you kind of be optimistic. Yeah, I just go somewhere mentally with comedy. Comedy has been kind of, you know, folks talk about your superpower. I think just comedy has always long been hmm. a superpower for me, even when I didn't know my level of strength. Like I always knew it was there. But I didn't know how much of a benefit it would be for me. Yeah. So you mentioned you were you were in the service, so right? You, so you you never saw stand up comedy oh, as not, as anything to be pursued. Not even close. I'm from a small town, Camden, South Carolina. There's no comedy clubs there. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. Comedians outside of Mike Goodwin <laughs> that, that come from my town. Yeah, I, I just I didn't even think I was stand up comedian funny. Like mm. as a kid. I said funny stuff. I did funny things. But to me, a stand-up comedian had to be able to command the room with stories right. and their, their conversation. I was a pretty boring kid. I didn't have any – I had imagination. But I didn't have stories that I can just wow the audience with. And so as a child, I just was kind of the impromptu – I was more of the throw the rock, hide the hand kid. I, you know, people always ask – like, was I the class clown? I wasn't a class clown. Or if I was, I wasn't in the top 10. Like, I was low in the rankings. Yeah, so yeah, I probably yeah. didn't even make the rankings. <laughs> I, was, I was always honorable mention. But I was the kid that would tell the class clown some ideas. I'm like, uh, man, you yeah, think, yeah. I mean, I think it'd be on. hilarious <laughs> if you were the moon in ninth grade. And be like, yeah, you're right. So then, so I was that guy. I was, yeah, I was yeah. kind of the puppet string. The writer, the guy in the corner watching all this stuff happen. So what are some of the things that you you tried and what are some of the things that you did and, and what were you kind of searching for along the way? That's an interesting question. I never felt like comedy was a real uh, a real endeavor for me. So I, yeah. I just it, it never was like you hear someone that said, oh, man, I knew when I was seven, I saw Eddie Murphy. And I was like, I'm doing that. Yeah, yeah. That, that wasn't my story. Never so crossed never crossed my mind. So I just basically and I was just telling my, my children this. I just always had an internal motivation to do great stuff. Like I just always wanted to be above average. So I joined the army right after high school. Uh, basically, um, again, I, I found myself in a position where I wasn't a great student academically. So when it was time for me to apply to college, I was only applied to one college, but we didn't have the money. I didn't get scholarships. I doubt that I would have, you know, gotten significant amount of aid to be able to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to join the Army. I'm going to join the Army. I had been in ROTC as a young student, and I had a high regard for the military. So I said, man, I'll go into the military do the GI Bill, and then I'll go to college. And so that was my my plan. So I joined the military. I went to Fort Seal, Oklahoma, which is field artillery. So it was all dudes. And I spent from August, maybe July, from all, July to December, because we didn't have – artillery didn't have a separate AIT. So you have your basic training – and then typically you'll go to AIT somewhere else. Mm -hmm. What we had was called OSIT. It was one site training. So you did AIT and your basic in the same location with the same drill sergeants for the most part. It was like we woke up one morning and the drill sergeants were like, welcome to AIT. It was like most folks, they graduate 
and they go to a whole different mm. post. So we spent, I mean, I forgot how many weeks it was, but it was, you know, at least five, six months just at the same location. So did that and then went to Korea for my first year. Mm. Then I went to Fort Stewart, Georgia. And so I did a four-year enlistment. While I was in, when I was in Fort Stewart, I figured out, okay, man, I got to figure out where I'm going to go to college. So I was looking at places back in South Carolina where I'm from. Ended up identifying Orlando University, small liberal arts school in Greenwood, South Carolina. Went there, and then I was on the track. Initially, I thought I was going to be in like physical therapy, personal training. But ultimately, I, I graduated with a bachelor's of science in political science. So my thought, at one point, I was going to become a lawyer. Then I was going to become a um, PhD in political science, a faculty member, and teach at the university. But I realized I just enjoyed being on college campuses. So like when I got to college, I just took the whole experience, like I took it all in. I, I did everything. There was very little I didn't do. I, I was a resident assistant. I was a campus or, uh, orientation leader. I did the summer program. I, I video recorded the basketball team. I mean, I just was Mr. On Campus. And I and then one day I figured out, like, how can I spend the rest of my life on a college campus? And so I, I remember talking to our dean of students, like, how do you get your job? So he took me to this conference, and I found out about student affairs or student administration that you could work on campuses and not be a teacher and be in the classroom. And so I went to graduate school at the University of South Carolina, got a master's in higher ed administration, and then that's where I found comedy. Like comedy kind of T-boned me as I was – because my goal would have been to be a high administrator – and a college campus, you mm-hmm. know, a dean of students, VP of student affairs, possibly even a university president. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my trajectory. Yeah. And then I got sideswiped by comedy. So how'd that happen? How'd that how'd So that comedy happened at my church. There's a guy by the name of Akintunde. He's a comedian. He was a mm-hmm. secular comic that had given his life to the Lord. And so he'd given his life to the Lord, joined our church. And then he, we began serving together in the media ministry. So we were in the media ministry camera, mixer, the whole deal, working services. And so we're often on headsets. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking through the service. And so I'm, I'm running jokes kind of by him. Or, or not just jokes, just giving commentary. Like, look at that lady sleep. You know, just things that happen <laughs> yeah, yeah. during the service that, that's not related to the, the sermon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so we just had, we had too much fun on the headset because, you know, uh, pastor was like, "What are y'all doing?" You know, uh-huh. people could hear us in the service, so we had to make sure we used certain to get people in trouble for the same thing. We'd all be on camera, <laughs> and they could hear us in the back laughing. They're like, "All right, guys, we having a stop. great time." Yeah, yeah. And so that's what you want for your volunteers. Yeah, but we yeah. were having too much of a great time because I guess it was conflicted with right. the the service where we were there to serve. But I was throwing ideas, cracking jokes, and so my my, my personality and sense of humor came forward. And basically what happened over, I guess, a period of time, uh, he just finally looked at me and said, hey, man, this is some really good material that you've been sharing with me. And he said, I can either go on stage and do this material that you've been talking about and get paid, and I'm not going to give you any money, or you can take this material and go on stage. So... He let me open for him 
He, and I think he gave me like this 30 day ultimate. You got 30 days, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, I, I basically, I tell people I got Debo'd on to stage. <laughs> but I did my first set at our church, which we did a New Year's Eve service. And I opened, I was a surprise guest. Nobody knew that I was going to be doing it. Uh, Akintunde was doing a set at our church that night. So I opened for him. I probably did seven minutes of comedy got a standing ovation it was a surprise for my church it was such like the movie type of set like if you wanted to have the hollywood example of what your first set would look like i did that and then i began to bomb for the next two years and so that's kind (laughs) of i found myself doing doing comedy yeah yeah so so what made you want to go on america's got talent well they uh i don't know if i can I've signed some uh <laughs> I've signed some NDAs and okay. all type But let's say that uh I sent in some footage okay, okay, okay. after an inquiry. Uh yeah. and it was that it was a scenario where I sent in some footage and they were they they cast it. They were like, mm-hmm. Hey, um, we think you'd be a perfect fit for the show. So how was that experience? It was wow. Yeah. Like it I don't I don't know. I, I think that the 16 years or however long I had been doing comedy to that point had prepared me for that two minutes of comedy. Cause it's a two minute set that you're doing in front of the judges. And I think that all the experiences I've had comedically prepared me for that moment on stage. Mm-hmm. I was not prepared for all the other things that surrounded it in terms of, the acting part of it, you know, I've done some classes and, 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 you know, do skits online, that type of thing. But just thinking about televisions and the demographic mm-hmm. and how you'll be portrayed online. Like, I just mm-hmm. went into it like, hey, man, I'm a funny comedian and maybe this is my opportunity to break into the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. And so there's so much else that's going on behind the scenes that, you know, you're just not privy to those conversations. So it was great from a perspective of I was able to get some more recognition. You know, I I hit uh, folks' radar, and it was like, hey, man, this is a really funny guy. I would love to know more about Mm -hmm. him. And what it does comedically or in entertainment, the way that people judge you is by your credits. Like, what have you done? What have Mm -hmm. you been on? And so there's no bigger credit in my mind than NBC, like to mm-hmm. be able to say that I was on a primetime slide on M- yeah. NBC. And, you know, I, and I was featured for like seven minutes in one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. So even to not kind of go on to the live show to get that seven minute feature is like, oh man, that's worth for sure. all of everything yeah. that I, you know, I, I got from it was well worth it at the end of the experience. Yeah, so you said that the 16 years of comedy led up to that. So I must have skipped a whole big Yeah, there's a lot of portion. <laughs> a lot of comedy. <laughs> so how so you started doing comedy, you said you bombed for about 2 years. Right. So but obviously you stuck with it. Tell right. me tell me kind of how you found that footing. So I think the first thing I realized when I did it that night I think back to the question that you asked earlier. I felt like there was a void that was filled. Mm-hmm. So I can remember when I wasn't a believer, you know, I was in a, I grew up in the church and then I went to the military. So I wasn't really in the faith or walking in my faith. But when I went to college, I rededicated. But before that moment, 
that was just emptiness, right? So I was trying to fill this God void with a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to, with parties and girls, you know, whatever, whatever I was trying to fill that hole with. And what would happen would be, for a moment, it would be, you know, it'd feel like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And then it would come back bigger. Like, the hole was wider. It's like, oh, that's not good. And it didn't disappear until God filled the hole. Mm-hmm. And so that's comedy was similar because before I started doing stand-up, I was like a little kid that if you go to a kid's house and they you, they bring you a toy and you play with a toy and, and, you, and they find out like, oh, you like that toy? Wait till I bring these other toys. And yeah. so that's how I would do with comedy. Like I would make someone laugh. And then once they would laugh, I'm like, oh, you like to laugh, huh? So now I got my whole toy chest out. Yeah. And it just felt like I was like, it felt like, I don't know how many of the listeners are big comic book folks, but it felt like Venom. So I felt like comedy would take over. Mm. Like it would control. And I had this urge to be funny. I have to let people know mm. But then once I got on stage, all of that subsided. It was like, oh, this was what I was supposed to be doing with this thing I had. I had it. I didn't know what to do with it. And so I was maybe using it in very inappropriate times (laughs) when this was the proper usage of it. So it filled this kind of that. Like idea that I was going, I was destined for something great. I was going to do something great. Once I started doing comedy, I realized, oh. This is this is purpose. This mm-hmm. is what I'm supposed to be doing. Now I just need to figure out how to do it better. Like I always, and the other other thing that happened to me, I started doing comedy with two other guys, sorta. So I can tune day once he allowed me to open for him. They really kind of started managing me at a very like pretty quickly, and so I would get these birthday parties because what would happen basically. There were events that people were asking him to do that he wasn't going to do or, you know, maybe he right. had conflicts. or So I would get some of that, some of those opportunities. Then he created a comedy, um, it, was a, it was a talent show, a competition. Pretty much, and the idea was he was going to do this comedy competition and then I was going to be one of the contestants in the competition but by the time he actually created, let's say I think we might have did it in April of that that same year that I started, it would have looked like a conflict of interest had I been a, com- uh, a, a competitor or participant in this comedy competition and won. Mm-hmm. So what he ended up doing was having me do sets during the tallying of the vote, votes. I would MC things. I would kind of just be the host or – fill in mm-hmm. to keep the program moving. And one of the, I guess the, the prizes for the winner and the top, the first, the first runner up was to get opportunities to work with him one-on-one. It might've been like a year going on the road with them, something like that. So basically what happened, the three of us, the two guys from the competition and myself kind of became this cohort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know. Because they were connected because they did the competition. I wasn't in the competition. Mm-hmm. And there was even some conversation from the guy who won the competition and some of like his friends and family members like, man, if you would have been in it, it would have been really tight. We don't know. It mm-hmm. could have went any kind of in either direction. So I was like, oh, okay. 
So the three of us started following along. You know, opportunity would take us to shows, and we would basically have an opportunity to do time. That's the hardest thing about becoming a comedian is when you first start, you can't get on stage because you're not good. Right. And then if you do get on stage, you only get five minutes, you get three minutes. You're not getting this extended period of time. Yeah. And what we basically were given was a comedy apprenticeship. That's kind of what it felt like because he took us on the road with him. He allowed us to open, and we were getting 10 minutes a night. So that's pretty unheard of, mm. like coming right yeah, out of yeah. the gate. So the three of us, I mean, that's 30 minutes of time that we would get on you know, get on before his show. So even whatever we did before him, it didn't matter because he was going to come back at the end and clean it all right, up because yeah, he was yeah. the pro. So we're just <laughs> up there messing around. But those other two guys out of the group, I would, I would, and I don't know what they would say, but I would say they were two stronger comedians than me. I, I think that the first guy, he was the best of the three. He had a natural ability. He was one of those guys that when you see, you want to laugh. Like, he just kind of puts you in the mind of like a Mike Epps. Like, when mm. you see Mike Epps, you kind of want to laugh. Yeah. You know, he's a silly guy. He's yeah, fun- yeah. charismatic. That was the other guy. Right. So then the, that was the guy named Todd. Then Corey was a heavy set guy, and he had kind of the fat jokes mm. and the food, and he had a great <laughs> – mannerism he was likable cuddly teddy bear kind of guy so i felt that those two guys had really good stage presence really good material that people enjoy and then myself i was a little bit of an anomaly because i had good material but i was terrible on stage like my stage presentation was very robotic it was very impersonal i wasn't looking at the i wasn't i was i wasn't entertaining i had great things i was saying but if you measured it by what i looked like Mm. like so my presentation if if my words are 10 my stage presence was probably a five so Mm. you average those out i'm a (laughs) 6.5 in general i felt like my guy todd was consistently a nine eight nine consistently like on a bad night he's an eight on a great night, he's a 15. Like So right. he was like above just naturally where we were. And then I just felt like Corey was a solid 7, 8. Like he just was not no flaws, no fluff, just kind of pretty consistent. Me, I was up and down. So I was, you know, one night I might be an 8, one night I might be a 4. So mm-hmm. I just was very um, sporadic in terms of my performances. But the thing that was the most infuriating to me was – I was the funniest in the car <laughs> on the way to the show. Right. I was murdering in the car. Like, it wasn't even close. It wasn't close in the car. Like, I was Mike Tyson in the car. But I can't take a car on stage. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been riding around with my buddies my entire life cracking jokes. So that mm-hmm. felt comfortable. That felt very natural to me. Standing on stage with a microphone, talking to an audience was not natural. Right. So that's kind of where I found myself trying to figure that part of it out and and i just you know and and it was a spiritual uh it was a spiritual maturity for me too because i realized that uh, for a big part of what i was doing it was more selfish than it was for the audience so i you know i had a big pride i had a lot of ego uh, and, and i remember you know going out on these shows and just not doing well 
And I remember asking God, like, God, I mean, I enjoy doing this. I want to do this, but something like, what's not connecting? He was like, you're not talking to the people. Mm. You're up there for Mike Goodwin. And so once I started making that adjustment, it really started to take off a little bit. So what So what was that? You said you found purpose, and you, but you said at first, you know, it was kind of for the selfish motives. What, what was that heart shift and what – what is that thing that now it's like, that's why I do it because right. of X, you know, I did it initially because I was enamored with me. Like I, I, I thought I was important. Mm. I was, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be significant. This is the, you know, it's, it's similar to a, a child that's always kind of doing antics. It's like, Hey man, I want some attention. Like, right. so comedy at that level was me saying, hey, guys, look at me. Like, right. I'm funny. I'm likable. I'm a yeah, cool yeah. guy. When personally, maybe my personality, because I I, did, I do have this personality prior to comedy, where if you didn't know me, you would have a one particular opinion of me. But if you knew me, you'd be like, oh, man, that guy's funny. That guy's a good guy. But if you just saw me, you'd be like, man, that guy thinks he's, you know, Hot stuff. He's very intimidating. You know, he's, mm. he doesn't seem like he's no nonsense. You know, I kind of yeah. have this duality of sorts um, before before the kind of the comedian part showed up. So I, I always felt a little misunderstood uh, through probably like my, my mid twenties because mm. I just felt like if you just looked at my face or you kind of knew me from afar. You don't know who I am. Like, you have a thought of who I am. But if you really knew me, like, you would be like, oh, no, man, this is the kindest, most benevolent, generous individual. Um, so I had this. I had, like, a PR problem. I had, like a, I had a <laughs> yeah, PR yeah, issue. Yeah. And then that that, came, that showed up on stage. Because, again, I was up there. I wasn't talking to the audience. I wasn't looking at people. I was looking over their heads. I was up there because I felt like this was what made me feel significant. Mm. So when I had that heart shift, I, I actually, to, to the day, my wife will text me before I, I go on stage. She'll say, have fun and bless the people. And so right. that's the the shift became, hey, man, I need to bless these people, and I need to have a good time doing it. And mm. so that's, before I wasn't doing that. I, I might have had a good time. I might, some people may have been blessed. That wasn't why I was there. Right. That was something that happened when I was on stage. But now I'm intentional. I'm coming to bless your audience, and I want to have a good time. Yeah. I feel like there's probably a lot of, you know, not only comedians but entertainers, but especially comedians that probably do go into it for that reason. Because, you know, you you get up there, people are laughing at what you're saying. Like, that's got to give you a high, like a rush of, like, wow, like they like me. They think I'm funny. Right. I mean, that's why you see a lot of comedians get in trouble in their personal life. Because they now are getting attention from what they do comedically on stage that they've wanted their entire life. Like these guys wanted yep. women to say something to them or people to take them to the party or to the game. Mm. So now when I do this particular thing, I get that attention. But now I'm in a place where I got to keep doing this thing. So now mm. I'm doing comedy for you and I'm not doing it for me. Right. And I'm not doing it for him. Or I'm not doing it for a productive purpose. I'm doing right. it for a destructive purpose. Right. And that, I mean, you can do that in singing. I mean, you can find that in a number yeah. of things where 
preaching. I, I think that that's another example where you you are moved by the response of the people versus no man. I'm a I'm an instrument. I'm here to conduct something to you that he's given me. That's not mine. Yeah. I'm just what you see, and if I have a great perspective of like I'm an under shepherd to the shepherd, you don't get off. Like I, you know, at this mm-hmm. I'm 46, so I don't. I'm not. Somebody comes to me after the show and like, oh, are you the greatest since Eddie Merck? No, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm funny. <laughs> I work hard. <laughs> yeah. I do a good job, but I'm not the second coming. And what's really good, because we just set up my table. Well, we didn't set up my table. But one of the best things for me uh, that I still am able to exercise humility is taking down my table. So at the end of the night, I do a set. People have a good time. Some people come buy tickets, buy shirts. Some people don't. But at the end of the night, I'm folding T-shirts and putting them back in a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm putting my banner back inside. So Kevin Hart is not putting T-shirts in a bag. <laughs> Kevin Hart is not putting banners yeah. back in sleeves. So there's a level of, hey, man, yeah. it was a great night. People were blessed. But let's keep it in perspective. Right. right? We're still... We're still working on something. We haven't got... And then maybe when I get to the point I have some merch person, there's still some other thing I need to do yeah. to, to remind myself that, hey, man, let's keep this in perspective. Yeah, I, I love that perspective because I think we have we see it now maybe more than ever, be, but because, because of social media. Right. You know? So, you know, you mentioned preaching. Like, I mean, we see you know, the air, the age of celebrity pastors. Yeah. And on the one hand, it's great because they can make such an impact, but there are some people and we've seen it time and time again that get into it for the wrong reasons. Right. And you've got that high of people saying, amen, people clapping, people standing and saying, oh my God, what a great revelation. But I love that perspective that you said about, I'm here to bless you. I'm here. I'm not here to get something. I'm here to give something. Right, right. And so what, what is that as a comedian? What is that thing that you feel like how can people be blessed by coming to a comedy show? Yeah, that's a great... And I wanted to make the point, too, what you were talking about, celebrity preachers. It's celebrity culture because they're yeah, yeah, authors and podcasters and comedians. So right. there's a culture in Christianity where there's celebrity. And so you have to be mindful of like putting boundaries around yourself and even acknowledging that, hey, okay, people are going to respond to me differently than they used to because I was on television or, you know, they saw me on this thing and my, my videos on YouTube and people are seeing it regularly. Uh, to the point that you're asking, I think that first thing that people should do, I uh, should not, I, I don't like to should people. So the first thing that's helpful in a comedy show is comics aren't pastors or lecturers. Like <laughs> there's just, you know, I listen to, I, I really, I, I'm a, I'm a fan. Like, I'm like the hair club for men type guy with comedy. Like, I'm not only a comedian, I'm a fan. I enjoy yeah. it. I, so I listen to podcasts and I watch interviews and I, I just I just nerd out on comedy. But there's something about the state that we're in where political correctness and, you know, we don't want to offend people. And folks are saying like, oh, it's got to be so difficult to do stand up. No, it's not. Like, just say stuff that makes people laugh. That, and it's very clear, this stuff makes people get in trouble. Stay away from this stuff. <laughs> and yeah. if you say this stuff, 
just understand that there's backlash that is accompanied with yeah. it. Like it's, I don't think that there's an easier time to do comedy because the lines are very clear. Yeah. Like these are the things that get people in trouble. Right. Before you didn't know. Like it was a little bit more uh, loose. Mm-hmm. And so now that it's more defined, you're like, yo, okay, yeah, you say something about that popular, yeah, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> or you're going to have to talk about it. You're going right. to have to deal with it. So I think for folks to just come to a comedy show, with the expectation to, it's entertainment. I, I, I just, there's somewhere along the way that people look at comedians as truth tellers and these philosophers. Right, and, right, right. you know, you got these comedians that have these shows where they talk about policy and they talk about current events. And they and there's some comedians that are very uh, dynamic in terms of how they communicate what's happening in society and, and all of those things. But, that's not every comedian. Like, everybody's different. Everybody has a different way to present the art form. So I would think to enjoy comedy, listen to the people that you enjoy, and then the people that you don't enjoy, don't listen to them. Like, mm-hmm. don't tune in. You don't have to fight against them. I always find it interesting. Like, I, I, I write jokes where my, my goal and my uh, intent is when I write a joke, I want to write a joke where the majority of the people in the room laughs. I, I write, I try to write my jokes where a hundred percent of the room will laugh. I don't care what political side of the the, the stand you're on. I, I want it to be so funny that the humor overruns your belief. So yeah. if you believe this particular thing, I want my joke to be so much funnier than that. You're like, oh, that's a that's a funny joke. Like I might not agree or I disagree. That's funny. So right. I, I try to write where I don't alienate. I don't yeah. try to put people, I don't come for people in my comedy. So that's how I that's how I approach it. But then even in that, there's still times where people get hurt. People still get offended. I think personally, you don't have to be offended. Like offenses are things that we choose to mm-hmm. carry. Like don't carry it. You know, I always say that in comedy, your vote is laugh. If you don't find it funny, don't laugh. Like, you don't have to email. You don't have to go and pull me to the side. You don't have to. And especially if it's not something malicious. Like, I had this one right. time, this woman, I did a show, and I got a bit where I talk about, uh, like, yoga pants and women's behinds, their backsides. And mm-hmm. this lady came up to me and was like, you can't say, you can't talk about women's heinies. <laughs> I was like, first off, they're not hineys, <laughs> butts <laughs> or backsides, rumps. There's other words we could use. And I was like, why? And she, she didn't have an answer. Yeah. She just was like, you can't. And like, hey man, if it wasn't funny, don't laugh. Right. Like you don't. It's okay to be teased. It's not okay to be bullied. Like those are mm. two different things. I could tease my friend, man. You got a big head. Ha ha. And we keep it moving. <laughs> right. But every day I'm talking about your head or I'm talking about your shoes. I'm talking about your, like now we're bullying you. Now we right. we you a target. Yeah. But if I'm like, hey man, you almost tripped and fell. Ha ha. You like, hey man, why you you almost tripped and fell? Like that's an ugly shirt. Like <laughs> it's true. Don't wear that shirt out again. Like so I, I think. To breathe. I think people come mm. to be offended not only for themselves, but on behalf of others. Like, let people be offended for themselves. There's been so many times 
will folks come and talk to me on behalf of another group in the group like we good but like no i know that group is upset but no they good i talk to them like 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 we talk all the time i know the group right uh i think that's the first thing but comedy has been it's such a loaded word it's like Mm. it's so subjective everybody's an expert of their own sense of humor so if someone says that Carrot Top is the most hilarious person they've ever seen. You can't refute. You refute that. That's who right. they. That's who the person is. Yeah. And if I tell you, I think Kevin Hart's hilarious. You're like, I hate Kevin Hart. He's so dirty. His language. And so I, I just think people make comedians these lecturers or these intellectual. You, you, hey man, don't come get political advice from Mike Goodwin. Don't get. <laughs> don't come to Mike Goodwin. To now I can give you advice on how to have a great marriage, raise it, but don't 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 come to get that stuff. Like get right. that as a secondary part. Come for some laughs and the entertainment. Yeah. Now, if you hang out and be like, "Oh man, this is a solid guy. He's had some life experience. He's done some things. He's an entrepreneur." Okay, let me. He's been very successful. But somebody just asked me recently about uh, Morgan Freeman. I think he said something. I need to go do some research myself. But I guess he said. If we keep talking about racism, that keeps racism happening. I'm like, why are we listening to Morgan Freeman on issues of race? Like, he's an actor. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing I can think of like, oh, yeah, man. Morgan Freeman told me how to uh, be a better dad, man. I was reading Morgan Freeman's book. and uh, My jump shot is better because Morgan Freeman... Has this master class. Yeah, yeah. No, man. Now, if you're talking about acting, and again, I know people are, are multifaceted, but come to be entertained. Come right. to enjoy the show. And I, I think, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I, I think it's so it's such an indictment on Christians that can't laugh. Mm. I, I think that it says more about them than they realize. And I think now, maybe more than ever, I felt like comedy is very important because of what you're saying. Exactly. Because we live in such an age of being offended, such an age of finding, looking for an offense in every single thing. And there's something so special about going to a comedy show and a a comedian making fun of you or your culture or whatever and just being like, you're right. Like, (laughs) we do do that. And that's hilarious. Like, you know, like, and and it just, it kind of teaches you to just be like, man, just take a deep breath. You know, like there's so much actual serious things going on in the world that if I can just laugh at this thing and not get offended, like, like let's all just, like we're all humans. We're all right, people. Like right, let's be real. Right. Let's just laugh. Let's just laugh at ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a whole war happening right now. Right. But you're going to be upset at me because I said something about yeah, yoga yeah. pants. It's like, <laughs> what are you, what's going on right now? And I think the other point is societally, we are, people are actively divisive. Like it's one thing to have a disagreement and something not like we're not on the same page, but I feel like there are no discussions and there is no dialogue. It's just bullet points, talking points and people yelling at each other. And at a comedy show, I'm not yelling at the audience. Like I'm sharing an insight and, and, and things that I've crafted. Like I'm, I'm more like a chef than anything. I'm prepared this meal and I want you to enjoy it. Like, I don't want you to say, man, this is some hard steak. Like, I had to chew this steak. Like, I want you to, oh, man, 
the 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 ribs were good and the the noodles were good. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the Brussels sprouts they were tremendous. Like I think if folks looked at comedians like, hey man, I'm preparing something for you to enjoy, as opposed to I'm coming to. I mean, because there is, I mean, there is something about comedy like. If you show me that I'm trolling you bothers you, I'm gonna keep trolling you. Like I'm gonna it's keep funny. <laughs> saying the thing that keeps to, like that's the point. That's what we're that's doing here. Point. That's what that's why we're making that joke. <laughs> so if I see that bothers you, I'm gonna keep but if you just laugh and we keep it moving, it's like, okay. And the and then I'll make this point. We we'll get into something else. The issues that people have with jokes, they never the jokes that people are not laughing at. They never no one ever comes. They were like, hey, man, that joke you did when it was dead silent, you should not do that joke anymore. I already know that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm not. (laughs) So comedy is very self-correcting. Like, you shouldn't be upset with me. Be upset with the majority of the room that laughed at the joke. Like, that, I said the thing that they laughed at. That's not something I create. I just said this that we all like, yeah, that's funny. We all agree. So you want to come and tell me the thing that's the most funny is the thing I shouldn't say. I'm like, come on, man, stop. Yeah, yeah. I've always, and I know you've you've worked with John Chris before right. in the past. I've right. always loved him because of the fact that he just like comes at Christians and like just makes light and makes fun of so many things that we do. And and I'm just like, you're right. That is weird. You know what I mean? Like, and I always felt like Christians need comedians like that because. I feel like what we're talking about now has been such a problem specifically with Christians. Right. Because, and you know, I think it comes from a good place. We're all trying to live up to, to the Bible. We're all trying to live lives that are above reproach. And, right. But in the process of that, we've kind of put ourselves to this level where we can't laugh and we get offended at everything and we get mad at people who don't live the way that we live. Right. And, and there's something to be said about comedians like yourself that are just be like, Hey, let's just let's just take a deep breath. Right. Let's realize that there there are some things we do that are funny, that are weird, you know. And it's a difference between mocking the church than observing the church. Right. Like I'm a part of the faith. I'm a part of the church. So I'm not gonna I'm not coming to attack the church. I'm just like, hey man, I'm I'm married to my wife. So what I say on stage, I'm not attacking my wife. These are things that and I've and I've had, you know, I've had jokes, I've said things to my wife, like, hey, I don't like the way you say that. Could you you know, change it. And I, I got to change it yeah. because that's, we're in relationship. And so I can't just be like, no, man, that's the funniest <laughs> joke, man. What are you talking about? Like, I got to figure out a way to do it. So yeah, the church for so long hasn't been able to just honestly evaluate itself and laugh and say, hey, man, that does come off a little weird. Like, yeah, yeah man, let's say we don't all pray a hedge of protection around you at the football game. And you're like, wait a minute, man, what's a hedge of protection? Like, I don't, I don't go to church. What is that? Yeah, yeah. What is that you talking about? <laughs> what kind of head? So, yeah, just having folks that could put a mirror up, up to the church, I think is important. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to, to blessing people that, that come in, I feel like comedy really is such a blessing. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you got a bad day, go on YouTube, type in, your favorite comedian right. and just laugh. Right. You know, and it something about that, it just changes the whole mood. Yeah, you can't be angry when you're laughing. There's, there's no way. <laughs> it's impossible. To, to be depressed and angry. This just happened to me. So I was on a tour 
with Annie F. Down, who's a, who's a podcaster, and we were in Denver. And I'll do the meet and greet sell at the merch table. And this woman came up. She was, you know, in tears, but she was kind of in an upbeat kind of kind of spirit. And she said her father had died two years ago, and it's been so hard. But she said in my show, she felt like something broke, like the grief and like all the struggle. Like she laughed herself to a place where it's like, I feel so much better. Like wow. whatever you did, whatever you said. She, I mean, people say it all the time. They're like, man, I haven't laughed like that. My face hurts. And, you know, I haven't laughed that long, hard in years. And there's something cathartic. There's something healing. There's something therapeutic about just being able to put your guard down and laugh. That's why people enjoy being with their friends. That's why they enjoy going out with particular couples. It's like, man, we just had a good time. We laughed. We just enjoyed each other's company. And so to be able to go to an event or a show and to see somebody that is skilled, like somebody just said, hey, man, I'm really going to take this thing that God given me and cultivate it and grow it and, 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 and improve upon it. That's why I think that you just not the question you asked, but there's a issue I have sometimes with other quote unquote Christian comedians. I think that when you put Christian in front of things, sometimes it can feel like an inferior product. So if you say Christian rap, Christian comedy, people are like, Oh yeah, that's just the little romper room. <laughs> Those for the kitties. Yeah, and, yeah. And I feel like as a as a performer, as a comedian, when y'all bring me into your church, you don't bring me in for me to share my testimony. You bring me in to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. And what happens sometimes with, with folks in our in our genre, if you're not going well, you won't share your testimony. It's like, hey man, we don't need your testimony, bro. We need some better jokes. We're trying to laugh. <laughs> we need some jokes. We brought you here to share your and so what I would encourage, if, especially young comics or, or even older comics, if you are of a faith, you're a believer, and you don't be afraid to go to places that aren't churches mm. to sharpen your skill. I make everybody laugh. Like I, that you can't put me in a scenario where I'm not funny. And again, there's opportunities where that be an open mic, and, and, and I mean, I mean, I know people have different. Challenges. So there's folks like I can't go to the club because I used to be partying. If right. I go to the club, do jokes, I I'll be back on the dance floor. I get it. Like <laughs> if it's, it's gonna cause you to stumble in your walk. But I think the most valuable thing, and it's not even just for Chris for comedians, put yourself in a position where you struggle, where you have mm-hmm. to stretch. And that's I think I know personally where I've grown the most comedically is when I've been in places where I felt very uncomfortable mm. and I figured out how to make myself comfortable. That's real good. Man, I bet I bet stories like the one that you shared with that lady that came up to you after the show, I bet you found that that, that gratification of knowing that you helped her in her situation, I would just imagine that that surpasses any high that you got when you first started when it was all about, you know, right, yourself. Right, you know what I right. mean? It's very humbling too. Like it's wowing. Like it's 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 like wow. Because you don't know that this person is about to say like you just shaking hands, 
People like, oh, I'm from, I'm, I used to live in South Carolina too. And you're like, yeah, yeah. what part? And so you're doing that. And oh, my dad saw you on Drive Bar Comedy. You're like, yeah. And then it's like, like hey, my dad died two years ago. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> it's just not in the script. Like, so it's very, it's, it's, it's very jarring, right? Mm-hmm. So it jars you. But when you just see people sincere, and, 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 and it's happened multiple times, you know, people say it often. You are doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. It, it reaffirms uh, what I do. Somebody, somebody just asked me about, am I happy? I found this to be an interesting question. Am I happy with the comedy doing this? What I, and I said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm happy. I, I, I enjoy what I do. And I know if I wasn't doing this full time and I was working at the school or I was doing something, I still would be trying to get on stage. Like, Comedy would still be such a big part of what I was right. trying to accomplish in my life. So I think that the fact that I can focus a lot of my energy and attention on this particular thing, I think it's beyond like happy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, man, I'm just right, right on target to yeah. what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, you're doing what God's life. called you to do. Right, that's what He made you. So what what would you say to to people? And we can kind of wrap up with this question. If there's somebody listening to this, they're going through a tough season, like you've been through tough seasons in your life, and you found, you know, comedy, you found humor to help you through that. What what would you say to somebody that you could take from your experiences, from your life, that could help them through whatever they're going through? So if yeah, if they're if they're believers and they're Christians and they, you know, have Christ, I think one of the most important things for me. I think that everyone has comedic lighter fluid. So there's going to be people in your life that laugh a little harder at the jokes. Y'all have a little bit more fun together. Make sure you check in with those people regularly. Cause those, Hmm. those people encourage you and you don't even know it. Like there's just certain friends of mine that we get on a phone. I mean, it's not even five minutes and we're laughing about something. It's not a struggle. It, it, it's not a difficult scenario. Make the relationships that you have with people easy relationships. Mm-hmm. Everything shouldn't be a battle. And oh, nah, I can't. Oh, I want to hear this today. Oh man, oh, do I got enough time to yeah, sit on yeah. the phone? No, you got to have some people that like lighter fluid. Man, they just mm-hmm. if you if you in a good mood and they just make you more excited, more happy, more. Jubilant. I, I think that, and you can curate curate that not just with people. Like you can watch if there's a movie, a particular scene. Like you can have that scene. I'm sure you can go to YouTube and watch. There's a scene like from White Chicks where Terry Crews is singing the song, and it, it, I mean I can't not see that and not almost start crying laughing. I mean it just <laughs> so that I have a lot of those. I have a lot of go tos that I just whether they're songs that you know, will improve my mood. One thing I did too, I I, I did this, it's been a few years ago. I, I wasn't feeling good about myself. I was sitting around, down on my, oh, this stuff ain't going as fast. Or I'm not as where I'm supposed to be, whatever. And I took my phone and I started texting encouragement to other people. Like mm-hmm. I was just like, hey bro, man, you're a solid father. Thanks to have you as a friend. And I did that to like maybe five, six people. I started to feel better. Mm-hmm. Then they started texting back. And then I started to feel even better. Like, so, man, if you're in a tight spot, 
figure out a way to get out of it. Like, and there is a way. There, yeah. There's a way that you can easily manipulate the scenario where you can call a friend and y'all can just relax and have you know have some just cut up. I, I think what happens too too much as adults, we forget how to play. Like as kids, I got a I got a I got a sixth grader, my eleven year old son. This dude has no issues with playing. Like he can play. <laughs> he can sit in the middle of the room, in the middle of the floor with with toys, with 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 stuffed animals, and play a whole NBA finals. Like, like <laughs> and and I used to. I remember being that kid, and yeah, I, and, yeah. I, and and I when I see him doing that, I feel like. I hurt a little bit because I'm like, man, there's gonna be a day where you're not gonna want to play with them toys no mm. more, like like that. And I long for those days of like, man, when life was so simple, I could just go in a room and mm. just fight with my toys. Right. And so I think that if you're in a tight spot, renew your desire to play. You gotta mm. figure out how to play again, whatever that is for you. I love that. I love that. So be intentional about putting yourself around the right people around putting yourself in environments or watching content that will encourage you, make you smile, uh, encourage other people, and then remember how to play. I think that's some wise words. I appreciate it. Uh, Hey, man. Well, hey, before we leave, anything, what what you got going on? Yeah. Yeah. So I have an Amazon special, uh, Amazon Prime special. It's called What You're Not Gonna Do Is Not Laugh at These Jokes. So if y'all would go on and just rate it five stars, you ain't gotta watch it. You just gotta <laughs> you just go on. <laughs> just, just go rate it. Just rate it. You ain't gotta watch it. It's funny. All right, take my word for it. Uh but if, if I would love for people to go and see that and check it out, share it, let people know about it. And just follow me on social media. I'm at comedian Mike Goodwin on Facebook and Bowtie Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. All right, man. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Going Deeper series of podcasts. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it made you laugh. I hope it helped you in your relationship with God in some type of way. Stay tuned to the Crossroads Church Podcast for weekly sermons as well as bonus content just like this that we pray is going to help you go deeper in your relationship with God. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and follow our feed so that you can stay up to date on all of the content. And I hope you have an absolutely amazing day. We'll see you next time.